Hello everyone, and welcome to Every Hugo Ever, the podcast documenting, discussing, and deciding the very best of the winners of the illustrious Hugo Awards. My name is Samuel Johnson, alongside my co-host as always, Jack Alexander. Hey there folks, I'm happy to be here with you Sam and with our beautiful and beloved audience. Likewise, and for those of us who are just approaching the show for the first time and want to learn a bit more, this is going to be a podcast where we'll be reading, discussing, and ranking each and every of the winners of the Hugo Award for Short Story, the Hugo being a very prestigious award in the realm of science fiction and fantasy literature. So we'll be breaking down how each episode is going to work and our rationale for picking short stories in just a bit. But before that, I'd like to share some information about us so you have a bit of an idea of who we are before we get to how this whole show is going to work. So to start off with, Jack, you'd like to share a little bit with the folks at home about your history in sci-fi and fantasy? Of course, of course. Thank you, Sam. So my history kind of starts when I was a a little little boy, uh, and I was very sad, and I had no friends. So what I did was I read a lot of books, and I would usually take these books from my older brother's libraries. Especially, I remember the one big series that got me into fantasy was the works of Raymond E. Feist. I'm talking the Rift War. I'm talking Magician. I'm talking uh, Empire Trilogy, all the way through the Conclave of Shadows. Read, I don't know, at least a dozen, two dozen of those books. I remember when I was uh, younger, I kept trying and failing to read The Lord of the Rings. On my own, I tried, I uh, read those Greek and Egyptian mythology works, Rick Reardon, a lot of that stuff. Uh, the Bartimaeus trilogy of Jonathan Stroud, I pulled those from my brothers as well. But I always loved reading science fiction and fantasy, read a lot of it when I was younger. But I only started writing it myself and kind of not rediscovered, but really deepened my love of it when I started uh, in high school taking creative writing classes and trying my own hand at doing uh, fantasy and science fiction writing. You know, when I got into college, of course, you do a lot of reading for your classes. You read a lot less for pleasure, and I certainly did. So I ended up putting my books aside, putting my childish things aside so I could, you know, read read theory, read histories instead. And uh, I regretted that a lot. Really um, have not been reading a lot of contemporary science fiction and fantasy these past years i really would like to i've been since the pandemic kind of trapped me in an apartment alone with nothing to do for a couple months back in 2020 i read a lot of uh classics now that the pandemic is abated i'm able to kind of go out more i'm able to do things more. i'm really trying to get back into science fiction and fantasy and of course sharing my own love of those things as i kind of recapture that love with you the people and also you, Sam. So, uh, Sam, I got to know. I got to know. What is your history with science fiction and fantasy? So you and I have some similarities, but also some key differences. I was the older sibling in the family, so I didn't have anyone else to steal from books at the time. But I did have an affinity for books of all types. I read everything growing up uh, that I could get my hands on. I was basically in my school's library every single day reading what was ever on the shelf. I think I read things really fast, like usually the day of I would come to school on like a Tuesday, for instance, in like third or fourth grade, get a book, read it all by the time I fell asleep, come back into the library the next day to drop off and get a new one. And I was just reading whatever I had my interest in. 
possibly just for the constant uh, dopamine hits to keep coming, because else I might fall off and lose interest in it. As I got older, I started to lean more towards nonfiction. I've always been a huge history nerd, and so that's just sort of the direction I leaned into. In terms of science fiction and fantasy, though, I did not read much fantasy, but like a lot of people growing up, I eventually found myself into the world of Star Wars, and this was in the mid-2000s, so the prequels had just ended when I saw the Star Wars movies for the first time, and just because it was a movie I had watched and it was on my brain, my first real experience with sci-fi was actually reading all of the old EU Star Wars novels, like the Thrawn trilogy, the Yuuzhan Vong stuff. I can't remember how many I read. It has to be at least 10 or 12. And it's funny because I don't have that much of a connection to Star Wars outside of just like keeping up knowledge of the plot and everything like that. But I have so much random EU knowledge uh, stuck in my brain since those days, just because that's what really got me into it, into a certain type of sci-fi. As I got older, my reading was pretty much cemented into nonfiction, but I began to keep up with sci-fi more through other means. My next big sci-fi reading trend was probably sparked by my middle school falling into the Halo trilogy and reading the books that came out alongside the games, specifically the first two, The Fall of Reach and The Flood. That second one is a novelization of the first game, and that really opened my eyes to how much more information and like narrative beats can be told in a novelization of a uh, different piece of media. For people who are really interested in how much a novelization can really add to a movie, the novelization of Revenge of the Sith is fantastic and does a much better job of getting the plot across than the film. But as time went by, so that hard sci-fi mode kind of became the one that was most interesting to me. I spent my first semester of college in London, and being in the UK led me to the franchise known as Warhammer 40,000. That hit exactly the type of vibe I was looking for. I knew about 40k through the online cultural sphere of knowledge that you get if you hang out in enough online nerdy spaces. But actually being over there and going to stores, and I actually did end up going to Warhammer World, really got me into the narrative. And like you, Jack, I started to get bummed out that I wasn't reading enough fiction because there were so many great worlds out there. And so when I was home for COVID, I really opened myself up into wanting to read a lot more fiction and fantasy, which I have a very limited reading background when it comes to fantasy, so trying to push that out more. And yeah, I'm someone who tries to keep an open mind with all things, so haven't read that much, more played a lot, but I'm excited for this podcast to really help me expand my scope. I found it interesting, based on what we just kind of talked about there, and knowing you as I do, that it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm mistaken, if I'm mischaracterizing, but you get more interested or more compelled by a fictional world versus a fictional story, right? Because the three things you told me, Star Wars, Halo, 40K, neither of those come to you as a single story. They're kind of a, start out as a world you can immerse yourself in. Whereas for me, actually, and I, I honestly, for me, something similar was World of Warcraft back in the day, where I got into playing World of Warcraft, and then I read all the, the novels and novelizations and sort of side stories with that as well. Funny enough, the stuff that sticks with me, because I don't really remember a dang thing from those World of Warcraft novels, but I certainly read a lot of them. The thing that sticks with me is stories more than the world. Is that different for you? It's interesting because I know random bits and pieces of information from the Halo 
in Star Wars books that I read back then. I couldn't tell you, like, any of the characters or the plot beats. I just remember individual lines and moments. There's nothing much stuck there, but I think what always interests me about 40k is actually what you said, the scope. I have on my shelf I'm looking at right now, a couple years ago, I got this 40k art book. And that's, like, one of the favorite things I own from the franchise. Just because I love the idea of this massive galaxy that has all these wild and disturbing and horrific, but also sometimes beautiful aliens in it that you can just scope through that doesn't always get maybe the proper representation in other media from the same franchise. And Sam, I know if I don't ask this, our many, many listeners will do so eagerly. What is your chosen uh, faction armies in 40k? People who are in the know probably can tell a little bit from my last name that it is taken from a very noble and not at all betraying Primarch from the First Legion, the Dark Angels. They were the first faction I ever saw on like an actual tabletop when I went to the store in London at the time. And I just quickly fell for them. I love their whole motif. They actually are uh, touch a lot of different things I'm interested in because they are basically... What if the Arthurian knights were also spacefaring warriors? They have some really interesting background. They float on a giant rock that is all that remains of their homeworld. Their Primarch, who is basically like their god, emperor, king, is unbeknownst to all of them, sleeping in an eternal rest underneath this giant floating rock. And one day he will wake up and deliver upon them justice to all of them who betrayed in the past. So it's a lot of the stuff I like. Hey everyone, future editor Sam here who just wants to shout out that he's back baby! The lion is here and I am going to spend so much money on that model and someone decent to paint it as well. I also just love the orcs. They're big, they're green, they're mean, they're having a good time. Alright, do you want to do a bit of our, talk about a few of our favorite stories so they kind of get a sense for our tastes? It's so hard for me to choose, you know, I have so many things mm-hmm. you know it's like choosing between your children you know we all have our favorite child but we're not supposed to talk about it you know we'll reveal that information to you dear listener uh very much so so uh my favorite fantasy stories really kind of full-length stories i have up here five of them i wrote down you can tell the uh the thread of continuity going through all of these let me know call it out before i finish not you sam i'm talking to you <laughs> all right we got the heroes by joe abercrombie we got The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. We got The Chronicles of Prydain by Lloyd Alexander, but especially the, the High King. I will say I also love Book of Three, Terran Wanderer, and also, of course, Black Cauldron, but High King's my favorite. Ash by Mary Gentle. Incredible book, like incredibly underrated. And A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms by George R. R. Martin, which I will say I like better than Game of Thrones. I am a weird guy in that way. I've read both, but I like that one better. And if you guessed, I love stories about guys getting together and fighting wars and perhaps dying in the war. And I think those are, I find those extremely compelling. I find those extremely beautiful. And uh, I am myself a pacifist, but there's something about the beauty of armed camaraderie that I just love in my fiction. Even if I don't care for it that much in my uh, actual world of existence. You and I saw a movie recently, and I won't say which one because uh, for spoilers, but it featured two people who had feelings for each other, and they 
were about to get together until one of them tragically died and you told me afterwards that's your favorite thing to see in a story of course i told you i mean i said it's so beautiful like the unconsummated love because you know the love it ends that their the relationship it dies it breaks it is it collapses and that's like that's the impermanence of it like i don't the happy ending you know i like a happy ending sometimes but sometimes i just want to the finality of the end oh good good golly i forgot what i was going to say <laughs> oh wait actually there's a great book by this guy named james joyce wrote a book called the dead which is all about mm. how beautiful it is when a young man dies for you and i 100 agree that unconsummated love that tragic love much more beautiful than this marriage or whatever else people are into these days but yeah what, what are what are some of your favorites there Starting off, I think it's fair to say you have read a lot more than me in this realm. A lot of my stuff here are either classics that everyone knows or modern classics such as The Song of Achilles, which is also here and just fantastic in so many ways. The first thing that came to my mind, though, actually, was the graphic novel series Bone by Jeff Smith. This was my Lord of the Rings. I never read Lord of the Rings. I've watched the movies and I'll talk about them later. But this story, it just, being a graphic novel really spoke to me at the time when I read it. I want to say when I was around 10 or 11, I would say. And this story about essentially like 1930s cartoon characters who just happen to stumble into what is Middle Earth and get wrapped up in this tale of prophecy and war and dreams. I don't have the huge volume where it's all of them collected, but it's black and white. I have the nine individual ones that are all colored. And every now and then, I'll just pull one out of my shelf and reread it again, or just flip some page and be like, this art's gorgeous. There's so many, so many, so many great moments in there. And the transition as it goes on from cartoony adventures with like a bit of a darker background story to by the time you get to the end, to this full-fledged war with these schemes and plots. It's a beautiful, beautiful long haul that I would definitely recommend to anyone if you haven't already read this and don't know about it especially if you like graphic novels. I've already said Song of Achilles, Mort by Terry Pratchett. A good friend of mine is a Terry Pratchett fan, and I read Mort, which is the first Discworld novel I've read by Mr. Pratchett uh, last year. It takes a lot to get me to laugh when it comes to media, especially when it comes to text. I don't know why, but reading something just is very hard for me to get a laugh out of it. This book made me laugh so many times, and I think Terry Pratchett, it has just this amazing way of conveying humor through words, and I've never seen anyone else do it as effective as he does. So that has a really special place in my heart. The entirety of A Song of Ice and Fire by George R. R. Martin. Yep, basically watched the first three seasons of the show, heard about the first three seasons of the show, and I remember the hubbub around the Red Wedding when it happened. I didn't even know what it was, but so many people were talking about it that I was like, I need to read this for myself and see what it's all about. And I have not regretted it at all. I have grown numb to waiting for the winds of winter. I don't care anymore. I'll be happy if it does come out. But I'm grateful for the five really excellent books we have. For a real classic, throwing it back to The Once and Future King by T.H. White. This is basically origin for contemporary Arthurian literature. If you're reading anything about King Arthur today, the writer's probably taking at least a few keys from The Once and Future King. When I decided to get really into what was the whole Camelot mythos like, this is where I began, especially because 
first Game of Thrones book, someone compared it to The Once of Future King. And it's a really great story of just a king who, from his boyhood to right before his death, trying to make the world a better place and overcome the trials that are thrown on him. And then for science fiction, Dune, Frank Herbert. Listen, it's Dune. It's Dune. If you haven't read it, read Dune. It's pretty good. So, Sam, you asserted earlier that you prefer science fiction to fantasy. And yet, I gaze upon your five favorites, your top five, and you've got four fantasy stories and one science fiction story. What's going on there? I think it's because so many of these were long ago. Like, I read Bones so long ago when I was a kid. A Song of Ice and Fire feels a while ago now, too. One thing I noticed when I was putting together this list is that I tend to read more fantasy than science fiction, but my sci-fi comes in through a lot of video games and movies and TV shows, and maybe that's just because where my mind has been for a lot, it's been more approachable and easier for me to consume media through these types of ways than reading. I also think, and this is just a thought off the top of my head, that I get a little bit more interested in seeing how science fiction is depicted visually than fantasy. Something about fantasy, if we're talking about magic and things like that, leaving it into text and having it be interpreted by my mind feels a lot more interesting than I want to watch how robots work and things like that. I would not want to see a movie of Mort because I have this idea in my head of how the whole characters and plot and settings look. Whereas with something like, I don't know, with 40K, I like seeing how the robots and the machines are represented and how they march across the field and move and things like that. I think it's just a preference of medium. So in addition, we decided to list a couple non-science fiction or fantasy titles to give the audience an idea of just what our overall taste is when it comes to storytelling. So do you want to share a couple of those, Jack? Sure, I'll share some of my uh, my faves. Uh, non science fiction fantasy. I said a uh, favorite of mine that I read well, two years ago and changed was a War and Peace by uh, good old Tolstoy. You know, it's not as hard to read as you think. I will say it's just very long, and so you kind of have the patience for it. I did the old year of War and Peace. I read one chapter a day for a year, more or less, and I finished it in in twenty twenty one. And I would say it was pretty fantastic, pretty great book. There's just stuff you can do when you have that long of a story with that many characters. and You're telling such a sweeping thing. It's just very impressive. Also, in the similar vein, Moby Dick, Herman Melville, love that story. Doing a lot of different stuff with the medium of fiction. And he's really, he's really pushing some boundaries and really engaging in some interesting ideas. Uh, again, not as boring and slow as you think it is. Not as... The characters are also just wild. If you like men who are idiots and are all doomed to die, oh my! two great books. Uh, the Dead House by Fyodor Dostoevsky, which I actually haven't read any of his longer novels. This is his sort of fictionalized memoir of his life in the prison camp. Just great, great thing. Really sweet. Honestly, very sweet and humanistic, very kind towards his fellow prisoners. And of course, We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Honestly, tie up between this and... Um, the Haunting of Hill House, both of which are just fantastic novels by an artist at the absolute height of her craft. I, I can't cannot express to you how the tension, the, the feel, the vibe of it is just constantly crafted. And of course, I don't know if Madeline Miller acknowledges this, but I read this story as one of the predecessors, certainly, of uh, 
Song of Achilles, which is The Last of the Wine by Mary Renault, which is her story of the Peloponnesian War and these two men who fall in love. And then, let me tell you, it doesn't end well for them, mm. as love does. I just, her language is beautiful. Her characters are great. I'm a fan of the Hellenic world, the history of that era. And so I just really enjoy. And in general, I enjoy pieces of fiction that give me a chance to go somewhere else. I read a lot of fiction about uh, the contemporary United States because I can just read nonfiction about that. I really liked how it depicted the Peloponnesian War not as these grand armies meeting on a battlefield, but groups of like 10 to 20 guys wandering around looking for other dudes to kill. I know, it's great. So those are some of my favorite uh, classic works and other non-science fiction fantasy. But Sam, what are some of yours? You ever read anything besides speculative fiction? Yes, I do. Right at the start of the pandemic, you got me into Dostoevsky as well. I ended up picking up one of those long books, The Crime and Punishment, probably one of his most famous ones. And the more time that has passed since I finished it, the more I have grown to like it. It truly is like a fine wine. Just an amazing novel uh, that was really good to read in the middle of lockdown about someone who commits a terrible crime. And his punishment comes not just from society, but from his own self-destruction and hatred. It's really a great read and uh, has a very nice ending as well. Another book is just one from my childhood that still remains one of the, my favorite things I've ever read, which is The Selected Works of T.S. Spivet by Reef Larson. This is definitely a book for a younger audience, but not too young. It is the story about a child prodigy cartographer. So he makes a bunch of maps. He's in, I think he's in middle school. And basically he finds out one of his teachers has submitted his map to the Smithsonian for an award, and he has won it. And it is basically about him hitchhiking from his home in rural Montana all the way to Washington, D.C. to accept the award. The Smithsonian don't know he's a kid. They think he's just, like, a fully grown adult who's making all these brilliant maps. Along the way, he does a lot of reflecting about his life, his relationship with his parents, his brother who has died right before the story began. And it's a really great book that comes back to me again and again and, and again that I love to read. And also because he's a map maker with all of this time on his hands as he's like hitchhiking on trains and things like that. He writes maps and doodles in the margins of the pages of the book all the time. One of the reasons I have such a soft spot for it is because I had never read a book like that that really played with the structure of the book and the character in universe adding notes to their own text. That was amazing for me at the time, so that's always been a soft spot in my heart for that novel. And lastly, going back into the world of graphic novels and comic books, I have always loved Spider-Man, the story of Peter Parker and Miles Morales, but I grew up with Peter. And his storyline, I got my hands on a lot of the original comics from the 60s and early 70s, just randomly from like a neighbor at a garage sale. Not like original copies, but like collections of them. So before people think I just happened to find Amazing Tales number 12 or whatever in a garbage can, that is not true. But reading through all of them, just enjoying the stories of this guy, this incredibly normal person given these fantastic powers. It's funny because so many of the times in those early books, I was almost more interested in the progression of like 
how is Peter going to get to this date on time? Or how is he going to get those photos for J. Jonah Jameson more interesting than him defeating the villain of the week? And I don't really follow comics and uh, heroes that much, but I did keep up with Spider-Man and I've read a lot of Spider-Man books and that's about it. So the character is always really close to me. And boy, am I enjoying this era where we are getting so much Spider-Man. We're getting great movies. We're getting the video games. It is a good time to be a Spider-Man fan, and I hope that continues to be the case for many decades to come. All right. Well, we've nerded out enough, I think. Now that we've introduced ourselves, we'll probably actually talk about, like, what our podcast is going to be. Every Hugo ever, right? We're looking at every Hugo award-winning short story, and we're going to rank them on a list from best to worst. I'm sure most people in our audience who have seen the title Every Hugo Ever have a decent idea of the Hugo Awards being, you know, the most prestigious, one of the most prestigious science fiction awards. I want to just give a bit of clarification about their history, how long they've been around, and why we think they're important, why we think they're interesting. Basically, the Hugo Awards founded in 1953 at Worldcon, which is this annual sci-fi convention, which is in a different location each year. The first Hugos were awarded as like a one-off idea, and there was no long list. There was no short list. They, I believe, did these literally just they said the nominations and they did them by votes. So there was just a vote openly in these conventions. And the key thing for this is, right, it's fan vote. It's just if you have a ticket to the convention and you go into the, the literal room where they were doing the vote, you could vote. There's no... Science Fiction Writers Association, there's no judge panel, there's none of this elite consensus. We're talking about a democratic, we're talking about a anybody who pays a ticket to go inside to vote on this. People say it's a more populist award. I don't know if that's actually true. Uh, certainly, which we'll get to, I'm sure, sometime, it's an award system that can be hijacked by bad actors because it's an open and democratic system. It's been going on since the 50s. It was not really um, solidified the rules and the norms about nomination, that sort of thing, was in 1961 when the World Science Fiction Society was founded to actually oversee these awards and the convention going forward. So now we have a whole system where there's a short, there's a long list we'll vote on to be added to this short list, which I believe is the top five vote getters in the long list. And then they have a vote using a single transferable vote, basically to find that consensus pick between all of the, the short list of those top five of the year. And now people obviously disagree with who wins, who loses. It's They use right now, I believe it's um, instantaneous transferable vote. The top five, at least, are often supposed to be kind of the five biggest of the year, five greatest science fiction stories or novels of the year. And there are many, many different categories that fluctuate a lot. I'm going to ask Sam, could you just go through briefly and tell us just the titles of the categories? Let's not go into what they all are, but we can just go through like what awards are going to be given this year at Worldcon. Happily, and there are plenty to give out. So this year there will be awards for Best Novel, Best Novella, which is between 17,500 and 40,000 words. Best Novelette, which is for works between 7,500 and 17,500 words. Best Short Story, which we'll be covering, which is any story less than 7,500 words. Best Multi-Installment Series. Best Graphic Story or Comic. Best Related Work. 
best dramatic presentation, long form, best dramatic presentation, short form, best editor for both long and short form. Those are two separate awards. Best professional artist, best semi-prozine. So these are for serial publications and magazines and other things of that nature that often has some of many of the short stories that we'll be talking about on this podcast. Best fanzine, magazines that are being run by fans. Best fan cast, best fan writer, and best fan artist. All right. A lot of them. Yes. We didn't do the novels, right? I think the novel is the most prestigious, the mo- the biggest deal. If you look at um, Joe Walton's History of the Hugos, she focuses on those novels, whereas our podcast, we're looking at the short stories. Now, that was a call that I made when we were talking about what we wanted to do, because we had this idea for every Hugo ever. My take was kind of like two things. Well, actually, there were three takes. My first take was just logistics, right? If we're going to release this podcast bi-weekly, which is what we hope to do, uh, we couldn't read a novel bi-weekly, but we can read a story that's less than 7,500 words bi-weekly. And we can reread it. We can kind of go over it. So that was one thing, just in terms of logistics. If it was a novel podcast, it would probably be a monthly or a bi-monthly podcast. So. There's also the historical perspective here, right? Science fiction, back in the day, back when the Hugo's originated, was predominantly... Its focus, its energy was in the magazines, was in these professional magazines that folks would submit work to, submitting work like short stories, submitting work like art, but also excerpts from novels, right? Dune was originally chapters in a magazine. Ender's Game was originally a magazine publication, and it was expanded and republished as a novel later on. So these short stories are, in my view, like, if we look at fantasy in historical sense and science fiction in historical sense, because obviously fantasy itself, also a lot of it comes out of those pulp fiction of the 30s, the 20s, that sort of thing. If we look at these in historical sense, it's really the short stories that are going to tell us the history because they were the primary unit of storytelling. And then finally, for me, I think on a personal level, a great short story, not a reduced version of a longer piece. It is a concentrated version of a longer piece. Novel, by its very nature, it contains multitudes, right? Simply because you sit with the character so long, things have to change. It has to add on to itself. Or the reader's going to lose their interest. This is why anyone who says a novel is about one thing, they're wrong. Novels are broad enough that they have to contain many different things. My favorite example of this is um, Fahrenheit 451 where people will say Fahrenheit 451 is about censorship. And Ray Bradbury famously said, they're wrong. It's actually about how important print media is and how bad TVs are. And let me tell you, folks, both of those things are in the text, right? If you read the text, you can see, one, the censorship happening as people are literally burning books, and two, the fact that nobody cares about the censorship because they're all obsessed with TV instead. And so, again, he's writing, I think it might be a novella, not a novel, but it's such a long text that it's including all these different things in it. On the other hand, short story is different, right? If you've got 7,500, 5,000, 2,500, 1,000 words, well, you have to choose very carefully, right? Every character, every scene, every moment comes at the expense of something else. You have to kill your darlings. A great short story, it's like a black hole. Every move, every gesture moves towards a single idea. 
And in my opinion, right, if you care about ideas and concepts in science fiction and fantasy, you really want to look to the short stories because that is where that focus is going to be there. And frankly, it might lack some of the things that you like in a novel. It might not have deep characters, might not have a plot, but it's going to really explore a single thing and be focused upon it. And I think that's more interesting to dive into than trying to cover all of a novel in a single episode of a podcast, which seems impossible to me. What about you, Sam? You know, when you talked to me about wanting to do a podcast about the Hugos, I was like, oh, that's going to sound great. I'm going to need some time, though, to like really get through all those novels. And then you said, why don't we just do short stories for all the reasons you just listed? And I said, you know what, Jack? You're I right. Try. And that was all of the input that I gave on why we should do short stories. The Hugos have been really fun to research in preparation for this podcast. And in addition to all the categories I listed earlier, there's also awards for movies and shows as well. They actually just introduced a video game category recently. And there's also something we may cover later on this show, historical awards given in these categories to stories that came out before the Hugos were formalized in the mid-50s. So just because the mid-50s is definitely where contemporary sci-fi fantasy really got their start doesn't mean that there were tons of authors out there publishing great work even before that. So they've been passing out every now and then these historical awards to stories in all the different categories that were published earlier. And we may cover that at some point, but that is a discussion for another day. Yeah, I just, I just, for me, like, it almost defeats the, it doesn't quite defeat the purpose, but I want to see what people are interested in at the time period, right? Not what is actually the top of the year, because we'll certainly discuss what are some things that didn't make the cut, because perhaps some of the blind spots of the Hugo fandom, but when it is that democratic system where you have just a group of fans deciding amongst themselves, I think the retro Hugos, nothing wrong with them. I don't know if we're going to cover them because to me, they are not the dive into history that I want to do with this podcast. We should probably break down what an actual episode will be. I mean, these folks have sat long enough. They might want to know what they're in for. Absolutely. We thank you for your patience. So how is the average episode going to work out? Well, here's how it goes. We will just do a quick opening introduction of the show and what story we are reading today. And then Jack and I will check in with each other just to talk about some brief overview of what we're up to and what we're reading. Don't worry, it won't be as long as our favorites. This will be about five minutes. Then we'll transition over to the story, first by covering what uh, the Worldcon exactly was like that year that this award was given, and the overall sense of the Hugo Awards. Maybe list a couple of the other winners, and then we'll also list the other nominees as well for the Short Story Award. One thing, though, I'd note, I want to give a, a shout out to, we'll probably be using, obviously, the Hugo Awards website themselves, but also Joe Walton's Informal History of the Hugos is just a really invaluable source of not just kind of who won what, but also just a brief description of all those different things and the roles that those different authors had in science fiction at the time period. We're going to lean on that for our sort of, when we give the background about the Hugos and the nominees. Yes, absolutely. And I'm really excited to just jump around and talk about like the history of each year, where the culture was at that point. Then there are certain specific years where there was a lot more happening than others. So we'll get to those when we get to them. 
Then, after all that about the Hugo Awards is over, we'll go over the author and their works. Maybe this story is one of the most prolific things they ever wrote. Maybe this is just a drop in the pond for an author who has gone on to written many other Hugo Award-winning books and novels. And then, of course, an analysis and review of the short story itself. We'll be summarizing the content of the story for those who did not read alongside with us. We'll go over our overall reactions to the story and highlight some certain parts of the story, trying to piece together the themes and the lessons and morals and just share how we felt, why we think this one won the award and where it sits with us. After that, if you happen to really like the short story that you read, we will come up with some related recommendations that you may be interested in following up with. And then, of course, the most exciting part is near the end, we will be forming our overall ranking list of all the winners. So at the end of it all, we will see how each winner stacks up against its fellow award winners in the short story category and decide where they fit into the list. And then we will be going just to an outro where we'll let you know what's happening, plug anything that comes up in the episode, and announce to you what our next story will be. Uh, the only thing I would note for our first season, we're going to do our first 10 stories without ranking them. And then we'll yes. rank them all at the end from top to bottom in a completely objective list. Absolutely. And the reason for this is that Jack and I were doing some practice episodes earlier where we had a bunch of random short stories that we had read. None of them were Hugo Award winners. And one of them was maybe not the best, but because there were so little stories on the list, it kept hanging around like number three or four, which made us feel a little weird. So that's why we decided to just go ahead and do 10 before listing any of them to begin with. And I think we should note, we're not planning on doing these stories chronologically. We're not starting in 1953. We're not going to today. We're doing them in a random order. We're, gonna, we're using a random number generator to just generate each and every different reading on our list. And we will just engage in random texts. Uh, and now why would we do that, right? Why would we, Jack? I thought it would be interesting. I thought it would be less predictable. I wanted to kind of subvert expectations. It gives us a bit of a surprise and suspense because you don't know what we're going to read next. And frankly, we don't know what we're doing next. We get to hop around a bit. We also, if we did it chronologically, we'd be spending our first few seasons covering content that's like 50-ish years old, right? If we're putting these out bi-weekly, we're putting out 20-ish a year, 25, maybe max a year. Frankly, that means that our first year, we wouldn't get to the 1980s even. Versus this kind of lets us shine on authors who have that historical value, particularly some of those earlier ones who maybe it's the end of their career in the 1950s and 60s. We can shine on them, but we can also put some praise on folks who are contemporary still working in the industry now. And we've got a decent, looking at our list, we generated the first 10 already. We've got a decent mix of new and old and everything in between. And I'm really happy about that. It's also a hedge uh, against style and taste. My concern when we did this is if we started with the 1950s and we just disliked the style or bounced off that style of 50s and 60s, Silver Age science fiction, probably would collapse the energy and the enthusiasm we have for this podcast. But this is saying like, hey, even if we really don't care for one specific story, the tastes are going to change every time we jump because we're jumping 10 years in any direction. That's my hope, at least. Yes, I think it's going to be really fun. I'm glad. Sam, you want to tell them the story for our, our first story? 
So episode number one, because this is episode zero, is actually going to be pretty close to today. So we're going to have a pretty modern tale. It is going to be the winner from 2019, which is A Witch's Guide to Escape, a practical compendium of portal fantasies by Alex E. Haro. I'm looking forward to it. I think before we do our outro, we should transition to some acknowledgments of who we're taking ideas from. We're using the, the work they've done to help us with our podcast. I can start that one. I'm going to just shout out the world science. Wow. I'm going to shout out the world science. Yeah. Okay. Shut up, Sam. I'm going to shout out the world science fiction society because they put in the work, right? The reason we have this podcast is because they put on the Hugos and Worldcon. All right. I'm going to give them a shout out. Another key reference for us is going to be Joe Walton's An Informal History of the Hugos, which is going to be a really great reference for us to keep track of everything, especially in the early years of the awards. I will say Joe Walton's history only goes up to 2000, so we'll keep that in mind. We won't actually be using it that much for our first story, but it's definitely it includes a lot of the comments from people who were around at the time, which is just really interesting getting their sort of like personal take on. Here's who won, but here's what we thought were thinking of it. And I got to shout out the inspiration for this podcast, which would be War Rocket Ajax. Their every story ever list of every comic ever made was what inspired me, one, to get into comics, and two, to make this podcast of every Hugo story ever made. So I'm going to shout them out and also acknowledge the fact that, you know, they are the giants whose shoulders we stand upon. And I'll give another shout out to personal history. I'm shout out to my older brothers, right? I got my books from them. They introduced me to science fiction and fantasy, and I'm very grateful to the two of them for supporting me and, you know, being there for me in that way. Yeah, having a family who was usually willing to buy all the books that I requested or having a library I could go to to pick them up was definitely a wonderful blessing for me as well. And funny enough, the topic of our first story so episode one discussing the winner of the 2019 Hugo Short Story Award is live now, so go ahead and give us a listen. And that is going to wrap up this introduction episode. So I hope you've enjoyed and are ready to take part on this journey with us, and we will see you in episode one. Thank you for listening to Every Hugo Ever. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review on a podcasting app of your choice, wherever you listen to it. Make that rating as high as possible, maybe seven stars. You can also support us on Ko-Fi through a link in the episode description. Follow us on Twitter at EveryHugoEver for show updates and other fun. Send us questions, comments, and your own reviews of our reviews at EveryHugoEver at gmail.com. This podcast is not affiliated with the Hugo Awards or with WorldCon. See you next time. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.